Welcome to this week's message from Southland Church. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Tom Dick. For more information about this message and other resources, visit MySouthland.com. Good morning. Uh, my name is Tom. I'm the family pastor here at Southland. And um, today we're going to talk about our kids, which is going to carry on exactly what we, uh, Pastor Ray was uh, vision casting for um, investment and a different kind of investment than just money and investment into our children. But before we do that, we have to start with some fun, okay? Because I am nothing if not fun. <clears throat> um, we're going to be talking about raising spiritual champions, but the thing is, when we talk about kids, sometimes we lose touch because we are old. And uh, we forget what it was like to be children. So we're going we're gonna to just, we're going to think back to our own childhood to start, okay? And the first thing we're going to do is we're going to do a poll, okay? We're going to do a live audience poll right now. So what I want you to do is if you have a smartphone, you pull it out, and you're going to go to this website. It's www.menti.com. And it's going to be a little screen like that on your phone. And you're, there's gonna, it's going to ask you to enter a code. You're going to put in 680666. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why it gave me 666, but that does not make the poll evil. It just was random, okay? It's just a number. Okay, so 680666, okay? And um, just so you know, the first thing we're going to do is completely ridiculous. We're just going to do three poll questions, and, and the first one's completely ridiculous, okay? It is, to, though, to help us remember the past. So we're going to look at, you see, okay, I have to tell you, context. I just came back from Arizona, and while I was in Arizona for two weeks, often we were on a family vacation. And what I would often do is I would get some Wi-Fi on my phone, I go through my my emails and get rid of all the junk, because I wouldn't have so much to filter through when I got back, right? And let me tell you, there was junk, and most of the junk originated right here, right here, right from our own staff, because somebody got it in their head that it would be great to start sending out pictures of their poofy hair when they were in high school. And so we got all these hair pictures. It was just ridiculous. It was absolutely ridiculous. And uh, I was looking through them, but I saved them. <laughs> it wasn't a total waste of time. I saved them, and I'm going to use some this morning. And I didn't even ask for permission, because I don't care. <laughs> so we're, well, the, first, the first poll, just to get you warmed up, is, is, a, is a poofy hair poll, really. Um, it's, to, it's to vote for the best blast from the past. So I'm just, they're a little bit small in there when we vote, so I'm just going to take you through them a little bit. The first one is of, this is not really poofy hair, that's, that's Marlene Lepke. That's her wedding picture from like 1950 or something. <laughs> when? 81. 81? Oh, it was like a vintage style, I guess. <laughs> and then we have our very own chef, Pam Kaler who I suspect that when they took this portrait, they had to back the camera up. Get that hair in the frame. Wow, look at that. <laughs> uh, and then we have our very own Dan, the long hair Hungerford. Whoa, he looks like a surfer, hey? That's pre-Canada, let me tell you. And then we have, now this isn't a very old picture because like uh, Kyle is just a wee babe, really, but um, we found an old picture of Stephen Chris Chapman that looks exactly like him. He was very proud of that. He was very proud of the fact that he looked like an old picture of Stephen Curtis Chapman. By the way, I saw Stephen Curtis Chapman this year. 
He is old. Hokey Dinah. He has gotten very old. Anyways. Um, and then, because it's mean to make fun of other people and not myself, I put in this cute little picture of myself <laughs> from grade seven. That's as weird as my hair ever got. I did it that way because my brother did it that way. And I'm wearing my round green Harry Potter glasses. Pre-Harry Potter. I set the trend. Okay. Now, we need one more, though. We need one more. And so I found this picture. <laughs> this is actually... This is actually the picture that started all the pictures. This is your executive pastor, my friends. I know you thought it was Fran. <laughs> right? Okay, so we're going to go to the poll now. So I'm going to get Dave to put up the poll for us. And uh, we're going to vote on which is your favorite blast from the past picture. It just takes a minute to load the poll because it's uh, on a different website, but it won't take long. He's very good in the back. Okay, here we go. And I shall start it. So um, uh, all you have to do is just press the picture you want there. Uh, oh, Chris. Yeah, you know what? Uh, this is exactly the trend we saw yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Marlene and her children voted for herself. Look at that. Whoever knew that being so dorky could make you so popular? Hey, isn't that great? Oh, that's good. Pam's, a, oh, Pam's in a second, but it's a distant second to Chris Dirksen. Okay, so you get the hang of it. We're at, oh my goodness, 300 people voting in here already. It's like a landslide victory. Okay, so that was a silly one. We're going to now vote on something serious, but it is also from your past, okay? So we're going to go to the next question. I'd like you to put in... How old you were when you accepted Christ? Now, before you do, put a number, okay? Just an actual numeral. Don't write the number, okay? And I'll show you why in a second. Just hit the number of how old you were when you accepted Christ. We want to see this, okay? 12. And it takes a minute, and all of a sudden, they'll start loading. Okay. Now, the reason I want you to... You guys aren't following instructions. <laughs> the reason I want you to put in the number is the more times you vote for a number, the bigger it gets, and so you get a better picture of, of, of who's... Uh, who was what age when they became a Christian. Yesterday at 4 o'clock, we had a 97-year-old who had put in... That's a lie, you guys. There's not even a 97-year-old in this church. It's a lie. <laughs> I said it was probably prophetic or something, but there's no 97-year-olds in this church. Anyways, so... Hi, Tom, yes. Oh, you figured that out. Oh, so clever. Bunch of middle schoolers. Okay, so um, four and five. Incidentally, in both services yesterday, it was five years old that won, hands down, both times. So four and five are very close. Six is, a, is also close there. But you can see the cluster in the middle there. Four, five, six, twelve, all under the age of 13 when people give their lives to Christ. Okay? Not all, obviously. There's, there's some spattering uh, older ones, but by, by far, out of 400, nearly 400 people, the vast majority are giving their life to Christ under the age of 12. Okay? And the last thing, so I want you to remember that, but the last thing we're going to do is I want to ask you, next question, who led you to Christ? Who led you to Christ? So, no one, friend, spouse, parent, or church leader. When I say no one, what I mean is that you were kind of like just, you know, a lot of kids in their bedroom at night, right? They were scared or whatever, so they asked Jesus into their heart. Um, truly, when we say no one, we really, probably that seed was planted by someone. It's just that you went home after youth, right? And you'd heard that, you know, you've been to like heaven's gates and hell's flames or whatever it's called. 
And it's like you're on your own in your bed and you're giving your life to Christ. But it was something else that spurred it on. Very few people just become Christians on their own in a wilderness without anyone around. And this is exactly what we saw yesterday. I, I wish I could show you the pattern yesterday. Not the numbers, but the pattern is identical to yesterday. The vast majority of people are led to Christ by their parents. The second is always church leader or pastor, and that could include a cell leader or whatever. But uh, that is the exact pattern that we saw yesterday as well. And I want you to remember this as well, that parents are the ones who lead their kids to Christ the most when we look at it statistically. All right, let's get into the message now. For the last several months, I've been devoting a lot of my energy to thinking about how I would describe a spiritually healthy child. What does it mean for a child to be spiritually healthy? And when I talk about children, I'm going to talk a lot about children's ministry. What I'm talking about is any ministry, pretty much preschool, not the nurseries because they're too young, um, but preschool up to the age of grade 8. So that's roughly 13, 14 years old, okay? That's what I'm talking when I'm talking about children's ministry. I know we call it middle school ministry and preschool, but children's ministry for our, our, our purpose this morning is preschool to age 13 or 14, Okay. And I've been trying to figure out what it would look like for a child to be spiritually healthy. So let me put this in context for you, why it's so important. In our church, you would have heard Pastor Ray say we have about 4,300 on average. That's people, bodies in the building on a weekend. Um, of that, over the last four months, we've averaged 1,292 kids. 1,292. That, that is a lot of kids. But more shocking than that is just the percentage of our overall attendance being children. That's really remarkable. And the record was set this last uh, Palm Sunday in April 8th and 9th. We had almost 1,600 kids in attendance. Now, some of those were counted twice because they were singing on stage and stuff like that. Even so, that is an enormous number of children. Like, just, it's mind-boggling, actually. Um, now, you think about this. We've, we've been doing, we, this is our fourth pledge drive, I think, right? And, you know, we're going to have young adults now, you know, maybe 20 to 24, who are possibly giving to this pledge drive for the first time. Now just think about this. Ten years ago, or 14 years ago, or whenever it was that we did the first pledge, those kids were all in elementary school. They were all in elementary school. All these young adults were in elementary school 10, 15 years ago. In fact, even some younger than that. That's incredible when you think about the investment that we need to make in training our children in how to give, because they're the ones who are going to be carrying the burden, the financial burden, in a decade. They're going to be participating in that financial burden. And it might be that the building is paid off, it will be paid off. But do you think it's not free to run ministries, to maintain the building? There's a huge load that people are going to be carrying. This is why we invest in children. Because they're actually going to be a part of that pool in a few years. And then I read a book on my vacation. Uh, it was by a man named George Barna. And George Barna is a Christian researcher. He's, he's fabulous. He is very, very godly, evangelical. He's one of the top, you know, influential Christians in uh, North America. And uh, he wrote this book, and there were a bunch of statistics in there. I'm going to share a few with you this morning. So now, talking about 13-year-olds. So that's roughly grade 7 uh, or grade 8. Uh, they interviewed a bunch of 13-year-olds. Uh, if you were to meet three out of four 13-year-olds, this is what they found that they believe, okay? The devil does not exist. A good person can earn their way to heaven. All sacred books of the world religions are different expressions of the same spiritual truth. Spiritual and moral truth can only be discovered through logic, human reasoning, and personal experience. You know what the problem with that is? We might come up with different ideas of what is um, truth and what is moral. 
actual moral truth and spiritual truth can only be revealed. It can only be revealed. So, uh, and this was, this was not limited to a secular group of children. This was 13-year-olds in general, random pool, Christian and not. Then they uh, looked at two-thirds of all 13-year-olds believe that praying to dead saints can have an effect on their life. And then a full 50% believe that life has no meaning. Can you imagine that 13% or 50% of our 13-year-olds right now are walking around thinking that life has no meaning? That is astonishing and terrifying. There's no absolute standards for moral, morals or ethics. Life is either random or predetermined. In other words, that sounds contradictory, but what it means is either way, it's out of my hands. I have no control over my own life. It's either random, just a random series of events happening to me, or I'm predetermined. I'm predetermined by God or predetermined by my genetics, whatever it is, but I have no control over it. That's why people think there's no meaning, because if you think that life is random, then you, there is no meaning. And the Bible doesn't condemn homosexuality. So you can see that we have a problem with our 13-year-olds. They're facing major challenges. And not only that, but they found that even um, among Christian 13-year-olds, uh, uh, only 3% of them, 3%, only 3% actually have a biblical evangelical worldview. An evangelical biblical worldview would be the belief that Jesus was both fully man, fully Christ, uh, fully God, that he rose from the dead in bodily form, that the Bible is inerrant. Only 3% of our 13-year-olds believe that. And not only that, but they found that two-thirds, actually more like 70% of 13-year-olds, are completely cemented in their beliefs by the time they're 13. Completely. 13-year-olds, when they were interviewed, said they were 70% of them were unwilling uh, to change what they believed to be true at the age of 13. And if they were to compare that with the adults, or if they were to watch them as they grow up, that, that statistic remained true. Only 30% of our 13-year-olds right now in the future will even change what they believe. So this just confirms what we've known for years in the church. After the age of 13, if you were to run a chart, it nosedives for your chance to reach kids for the gospel. It absolutely plummets. Um, statistically speaking, the chance that somebody is going to give their life to Christ after the age of 13 is small. It's very small. And in fact, a lot, of, uh, a lot of social scientists believe that your moral foundations are completely set, cemented in place by the time you're nine years old. And you're going to say, oh, wait, but I became a Christian. You saw, there was a whole bunch of people that became Christian later in life. Yeah, that's true. You know what's very often true about those people, though? They grew up in church, they left the church, and then they came back. They had a foundation there already. They already had a foundation that made it possible for them to come back in a few years. But the, and so they left for a while and then they came back. But truthfully, the work that would make it possible for them to receive Christ was already laid by the time they were 13. Now I want you to do something. I want you to think of a nephew, a niece, a cousin, child, who's in that age of about 11, grade 5, grade 6. And I want you to imagine for a second that you have two more years. You have two more years to reach that child, to really get to them and instill the kind of values that are going to cause them to accept Christ. That's very, very shocking. It's motivating, isn't it? And you know, we, of course, we have to make room for the Holy Spirit. We, the Holy Spirit does do miracles, and people do get converted later in life. We do, we do see that. But statistically speaking, the math, the numbers... The truth is, this is why we need a vibrant, healthy children's ministry. 
Because we know that we're going to need it. They're going to need it. And it's interesting, in most churches, not this church, but most churches across North America, you know what is the last position to be hired in any church? is a children's ministry pastor. You see, what most churches do, well, think about this for a minute. Um, you, you hire a senior pastor, right? Maybe you get an administrator next. But what is usually the second pastoral position you hire in any church? What is it? Youth pastor. Always youth pastor. And you know why? Because we look at the fact that the youth are leaving the church, and we say, oh, we've got to find a youth pastor to keep the youth in the church. No. They will leave regardless when they're in youth if they don't have the foundations in children's ministry. So we should actually, in our churches, be hiring children's ministry pastors before youth pastors, which totally flies in the face of everything the North American church believes. Absolutely everything. Uh, and in our church, thankfully, we do invest heavily in children's ministry. We invest uh, money there, but we also have seven staff, actually seven plus a few, that work in children's ministry, either in support roles or in pastoral roles. So we, we invest heavily in there. But this is why it's so important. And now, you see, today, I don't want to give you a parenting message. It's true. We, can, we will never, as a church, usurp the role of families. Families have the most important role in uh, raising up children. You saw that. Look how many kids, statistically, get, raised, get, get led to Christ by their parents. That is good and right, okay? But this is not a parenting message. This is a message about what it takes for a church to cherish their children and raise them up to be spiritual champions. What do we do collectively? And I know because, you know, when you preach parenting messages, it's very hard because some people tune out. They're not parents yet. They can't have children. They're single. They're grandparents. This is not that kind of message. It doesn't matter if you have kids that are in your house or your pre-children in your marriage or you can't have children or your grandparent. It doesn't matter because our children in this church are not just a gift to the family they were given to, but they're a gift to the body of Christ. And all of us collectively at Southland have a responsibility to raise up those kids. We collectively have that responsibility. So that's what this message is about. Now there's a few reasons. There's a few reasons that it's very hard, even in this church, to get volunteers into, middle, into children's ministry and middle school ministry. There's a couple of reasons for that. Now, I'm going to address, and I'm going to tell you what they are, and I'll address one of them. Um, that's not to say that we don't have a lot of volunteers and that we don't have excellent volunteers. We do. But you know what? We need more. We just simply need more. Uh, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. But two of the reasons that people don't invest more in children's ministry, uh, one of the reasons is that there isn't an immediate return on their investment, so to speak. You know, when you're in high school ministry, if you have a group of grade 11 boys and you walk away from cell and they were lying prostrate, 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 <laughs> prostrate on the floor, um, you know, weeping and confessing their sins, you're like, oh, that was success. You know, if you can get a grade 11 boy to cry, ooh, you had a good cell. <laughs> if you can get a four-year-old boy not to punch his neighbor, is that success? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't feel particularly spiritual, right? And so for us, we like immediate return. We like to see that there's something happening there. And we don't understand that if a kid, when you walk into children's ministry, runs to give you a hug, you've been successful. You might not read their journals. You might not see them praying. They may never cry or confess their sins. You may never see them growing in obedience at home. But if they run to hug you, you've been successful. But you see, we like an immediate return on our investment, and so we don't like to have to invest in a, in a four-year-old wondering one day if it's going to work when they're 14. It's 10 years away. 
And yet, 10 years goes pretty fast. And then the second reason that people don't invest more in children is they actually have a wrong view of what a child disciple should look like, and when they don't get what they expect, they become disillusioned and they quit. So I'm going to talk just for a minute, and I'm going to be very brief on this, what a Christian kid is and isn't, because this is really, really critical to understand. See, the Scripture is very clear. I mean, I, I wrote up a list of things. It was off the top of my head, of things that... Uh, um, a Christian, mature Christian adult should be doing, okay? A mature Christian adult. So, you know, things like being generous, um, uh, serving, loving unconditionally, growing in, in compassion for the poor and the lost and all these things. Those are all things that should be but, uh, in an adult. And there's verses to go along with all of them. I could give you tons of Scripture. The thing is, if we're talking about children, is our expectation— that we should just take the things that a, a mature adult does as a Christian and just dial it down for children and expect that they should do the same thing just at a shorter level? Is that what we expect? And you know what the, the, the answer is? No. There are things that mature Christians should do that even children, they don't need to worry about doing. We might do the very, very basics of it, but I'm gonna, I'll give you an example of what I mean. Spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is a good example of what mature Christian adults should be doing. Okay, they should be doing it, but children shouldn't. Uh, and at least not the way a lot of people think of it. A few years ago, when we started the uh, Set Free Retreats, we gave out these little spiritual warfare uh, prayer cards. And the reason we did was people didn't know how to, how to do spiritual warfare. They didn't have the language for it. They didn't understand the prayer. And so we gave them these little forms, and they're good. There was nothing wrong with it. They were, uh, they were very helpful. I mean, even Jesus gives us, uh, he says, when you pray, pray like this. But every time we pray, do we pray the Lord's Prayer? No. We pray like the Lord's Prayer in the same model. It's the same thing with the cards. And then you know what started happening? It was actually a few years, but it started happening. All of a sudden, I had a number, not just one, a number of parents come to me and start saying things like, um, I don't know what to do, Tom. My child will not go to sleep unless I read that prayer. In fact, one parent said to me, um, my child, I, I couldn't get my kid to sleep last night because we couldn't find the spiritual, uh, spiritual warfare card, and they won't fall asleep unless they prayed it because they think the devil's going to attack them. Do you know what happens when, when a prayer becomes more about the words than the person you're praying to. You know what that's called? It's called magic. Magic is when you care more about what you say than to whom you're saying it to. You see, those, those prayers were meant to teach us how to talk to God about spiritual warfare, but they were never meant to be the answer to spiritual warfare, and yet in the hands of a child. We gave them to adults, and adults, it's no problem, I understand. We want to teach it to our children, they have bad nightmares, you know, we don't, we're learning about all this evil spirit stuff, maybe it's an evil spirit. Yeah, but you don't, you pray that for your child, you don't have your child pray that. You see, and so if we expect that our children will do spiritual warfare the way we do it, we actually have expected too much of them. It's dangerous. That's why we're very careful how we talk about even fasting. Should adults fast? Yes or no? Yes, 100%. You're a mature Christian, you should learn to fast. I love fasting. But you know what? I know that when I fast, it's not an equation. It's not a mathematical equation. It's not fasting plus prayer equals answered prayer. That's not what it is. It's, I fast so that I can remove the stuff that distracts me from my relationship with God. And then I get close to him. And I start to pray his will. And do I see answers to prayer? Oh, you better believe it. But guess what that is? That's a side benefit to the fast. 
the primary benefit of the fast is that I get closer to my Lord. But see, children, and, and we do this because we talk about it. Put it on, put on your prayer request. Take this to the Lord. Fast and pray. Look how many prayer requests I had. You know, in 2008, I had 23 prayer, prayers answered in the month of January. 2008. 23. It's almost one a day. It's pretty incredible. But you know what a child hears? A child who's black and white and concrete in their thinking, they hear prayer plus fasting equals answered prayer. So now if I fast and I pray, my grandma will be healed. Now if I fast and I pray, I won't be bullied at school anymore. And that's not the way it works. That's not the way it works. So we have to be very careful that when we talk to children, we don't expect that they behave like adults. They shouldn't. And we've made that mistake sometimes. We've actually made that mistake. And what happens is people become disillusioned when they don't get the results that they expect they should have. These are the results we should expect to have. If we could have a kid who came in in grade four and left in grade five to middle school, you and I would love to see that they're filled with awe. Just awe. Oh, they walk out in nature, they go to camp, and they just stand there and they look and they say, God is so amazing. You and I would say, that is very, very successful. Very successful. If they have a sense of worship and love and admiration for God, that is huge. That is huge. They may not even know why. They don't know the Bible verses, all that stuff, but they are filled with awe. They're learning the stories of the Bible. They're just learning the pure stories. Did you know what else they found? The 13-year-olds they interviewed by Barna, they found that they already thought that at 13 they knew every major teaching and every major story of the Bible. 13-year-olds literally thought they knew it all. Literally. And you're like, well, yeah, that falls. Didn't need a survey to figure that one out. But isn't that interesting? They think they know everything by 13. No wonder they're hard to teach. We just want to get the pure stuff of the Bible. And the most important things in the Bible, okay? We need the most important parts of the Bible in them. We don't need the obscure parts. We want them to love coming to church. If a kid loves to come to church, oh my goodness, that's incredible. Do you know that in the last week, I'm not kidding you, in the last week, I've had from three parents, three parents have told me that their children, they gave them an, uh, a complete choice. There was no pressure. You have a choice. Do you want to do soccer or sports or baseball uh, or go to youth because it conflicted with Wednesday night? And three, three parents this week have told me that their kids chose youth over sports. Hallelujah, you know? Don't get me wrong. My kids are going to play sports. I love sports. And it's going to eat away a little bit. My son Malachi is doing, doing football for the first year. This year he's a leader in my middle school program. He's going to miss the leaders meeting. I don't even care. He's going to do sports. It's going to be good for him. I'm not saying that sports are always wrong. All I'm saying is that historically and statistically, sports always wins. Always. Always, 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 always wins. And it's really nice when the church get some of those kids choosing on their own without any pressure to be here instead of out there. That they're becoming more obedient. Again, this is hard to measure, but just more obedient. And that the fruit of the Spirit, we talk about the fruits of the Spirit, not the gifts of the Spirit. It's good for kids to pray and learn about these things and fast and all these things, but we don't care so much that they're growing in the fruits of the Spirit. We want them, or the gifts of the Spirit, we want them growing in the fruit of the Spirit. That's where we focus our time. That's the foundational stuff. So if you come into a children's ministry with those expectations, you're going to have a lot of success. You're going to feel good when you see a child arriving with joy who last week was fearful to come to, uh, to children's ministry. 
That's success, okay? So that is different than what your expectation might be. Okay. And, you know, I, I know something. There is an equation that will lead to this. There is an equation. If I could have a mature leader who loves Jesus, loves children, and whom children love, I guarantee you they will be discipled. I guarantee it. They will be discipled. If you, are, if you love Jesus, love children, and they love you in return, you will disciple them. It's almost impossible for it not to happen. Almost impossible. So how do we then as a church raise up spiritual champions? And remember, this applies to us all now. This is not only actually for the volunteers, although we're going to talk about serving our children in a minute, but this is not only for the volunteers. This is not like a leadership lesson. This is a, this is a church family lesson. This is how, as a church body, we're going to help raise up spiritual champions for our children's ministries. <clears throat> the first thing I want you to know is that there's a very big difference between change and transformation. So a lot of things that we can do that will change a child. We can change their behavior. We can do behavior modification, rewards, discipline, that sort of thing. But transformation is what we're actually about, even at a child level. We actually want it so that if we were to take a kid from our children's ministry, from the church, and put them next to a kid who doesn't know anything about Jesus, there would be a marked difference between the way they behave, think, and act. We actually want that. And it's actually happening. It is actually happening. Um, I've done this a lot. Have you noticed that? I feel a little bit, a little Trumpish. That's not good. I think it's because I'm holding a clicker. You know, ugh, <laughs> just <laughs> gonna do this for the rest of the time. All right. There is actually transformation happening in our children's ministry. In fact, it's one of the reasons that it's hard to um, to explain our ministries to other churches, because they come here. You know, we bought these bouncers for middle school this year. They're very fun. These big inflatable castles, right? I'm waiting for one of them to take flight outside so I can put it on the YouTube. On the YouTube, yeah. <laughs> but we have these big bouncers. We invested some money there. You know why? Because we want them to come and have fun. When other churches see that, they think we're all about programming. No. Actually, what we know is this. When a kid is in there or a cell group is having fun at church, they're building positive memories here. That's what's happening. They're building positive memories here. And positive memories with godly relationships leads to transformation. So although we have programs that's kind of like the vessel that we put transformation in, it's about transformation. It's not about change. It's not about change. One of the things that you're going to need if you're, if you're going to raise up a spiritual champion in the church is you're going to have to have a, a senior leadership staff that's behind you. And last year around this time, the, the APEST group, the senior leadership group, they started meeting with the different pastors of the ministries and they started saying, what does it look like for you to have success in your ministry? And so in kids' land, which is grades 2 uh, or K to 4, and in middle school, which is grades 5 to 8, we came up with these mandates this is what we would say is success, okay? So what would a success look like for us as a, as a ministry? We want our kids, and they're almost identical except for the third point. We want our kids to love church. We want them to associate this place with warm memories, not boring memories. We want them to feel welcomed here, not like everybody was grumpy towards them. We want to care more about them than the drywall, for example. <laughs> So we did mini-golf in the auditorium. We put one little hole in the auditorium, in, in the wall. 
I put a much bigger hole in one of the whole, uh, classrooms back there one day. I was rolling a table. The guy I was passing it to totally missed it. And it's his fault. <laughs> but, and I felt terrible. But I'm so grateful that I'm in a church that sees people not drywall. You have no idea. That's rare. That's very rare. So we want them to love coming here. We want them to find belonging here. We want this to be the place that they make their best friends. One of my staff uh, colleagues said that his kids are in high school now and they're, they're making friends and whatnot, but he said that when they were in, in middle school, they were having trouble making friends. And they told their friends, you know what? School is okay. School, is, school, go there to learn. Don't worry about it being the place where you have your best friends. Make your best friendships at church. What wise advice. Very, very wise advice. Find belonging here. Also, we want our kids to be to know God's Word, and we want them to discover truth. We say discover truth in middle school because at that age we do apologetics a little bit, and of course we want them to experience Jesus. There's four principles that across the church body we can do to help accomplish that for our children. There's just four principles, and everybody in this room can take part in these four principles. So this is what they are. The first principle to accomplish that mandate is this. We must see children as God sees them. If you see children as a waste of time, as an appendage to real ministry, as um, an annoyance, um, cute but annoying, you know, if you see them like that, you have not seen them as God sees them, and they will not be transformed, or at least you won't be part of their transformation. That's not how God sees them. I'm going to show you um, uh, how God sees children. First of all, and these are all uh, like, like steeped in Scripture. I have lists and lists of Scripture here. I didn't put it all up. Children are a gift from God. Psalm 127 literally says, children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from Him. God always sees children as a gift. There's no such thing as an unplanned child, as an accidental pregnancy, none of that. Any child, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what their challenges, behavioral, cognitive, whatever it is, no matter what they have, that child is a gift from God. Every last and every single one. If you don't see them that way, you're not seeing them as God sees them. Children are desirable. You actually should want children. And not just as a family, but as a church, we should want children. I'm so grateful to Pastor Ray that he loves children the way he does. I actually told him that yesterday. I was thinking a lot about this message, obviously. I've been thinking a lot about children. I just said, oh, I'm so grateful that we have a lead pastor who values children the way that he does and speaks about it and celebrates it. What an incredible thing. They need to be desirable. God sees children as worth teaching. He says it's not good enough to just have children. We now need to instruct them. He talks about this in Deuteronomy 4 verse 9. Only be on your guard and diligently watch yourselves so that you don't forget the things your eyes have seen and so they don't slip from your mind as long as you live. Teach them to your children and your grandchildren. They, our children don't become Christians by accident. I, another part of that same survey that George Barna did said that a lot of youth today are reinventing Christianity. They're reinventing Christianity. You know why? Because they don't have elders who are passing on true Christianity. They don't have elders, people who are older than them, going before, sharing their stories. Oh man, I love hearing the stories of how my grandparents escaped Russia. You know, and how God met them, and in their poverty in Canada. These things are incredible. You know, my, my, my great-great-grandpa was shot in Russia, okay? And they, we have a story from like 1978 from the MB Herald. You know, it was written up in there, and I still, I have a copy of that. 
And it talks about how, how he prayed in his last days, because he was shot and very wounded, and how he prayed in the last days. And you know what? I read it and I went, my goodness, it sounds like my great-great-grandpa was doing listening prayer on his deathbed. Oh, it blessed me. It was incredible to read. We need elders to remind the children of the miracles of their, of, that, have gone, that have happened already. Even, you know, Gideon says that when the, when, the, when the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon, um, Gideon says to the angel of the Lord, Sir, if God is with us, then where are the miracles our fathers have told us about? Even if miracles aren't happening, in fact, especially if miracles aren't happening, our children need to hear of times when they did because it builds their faith. They need to be taught. Children are worth protecting. Children are worth disciplining. We do not despise the Lord's instruction, my son, and do not loathe his, his discipline, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves, just as a father, the son he delights in. We need to discipline. That's how much God cares about them. They're that valuable. And God enjoys the personality and the nature of children. He actually likes who they are. He's not annoyed at them. He likes who they are. He, Jesus talked about this. He said, and whoever welcomes a, one child like this in my name welcomes me. Jesus said, leave the children alone. And don't keep them from coming to me because the kingdom of heaven is made up like people, of people like this. You go up there and you see those little children with their simple faith wandering around, you know, and you say, wow, that's the kind of character that God loves. Isn't that incredible to think about? It's just incredible to think about. Jesus loves little children. We need to see them as we see them. When we see children as God sees them, your heart will absolutely change. If you can hold a newborn baby and not be filled with wonder and emotion, you don't have God's heart for children yet. I just love holding babies. And if you don't feel holy wrath rise up in your gut for the senseless murder of unborn children, you actually don't love children. And you don't see them the way that God sees them. And if you don't feel that sense of injustice when you hear about the broken foster care system, you don't love children. When you read these stories about children being placed in terrible places or being hurt by the people who should love them, you don't love children unless you feel that in your heart. We need to see them as we see them. If you want to be part of the transformation of children in our church, you must see them with God's eyes. The second thing that's going to lead to transformation in our children is that they must be known. They actually must be known. I have a personal challenge that I give to myself every single year at camp. Um, at camp, they, typically kids arrive at, uh, on Sunday afternoon, and my personal challenge to myself is that by, Sunday at, uh, by Monday at dinner time, I know every name of every child at camp. And I've only missed it, I've missed it maybe 5% of the time. I work hard, and I've got all sorts of funny little tricks that I do, and I pray like crazy. Because if I can, first of all, if they're misbehaving and you know their name, oh, that's powerful. But, <laughs> but the other thing is when, when they come up to you and they realize they're there among 110 other kids and you know them, you know, to know someone's name is to know their identity. Now, it's very hard when they come back. Some kids tested me yesterday after church. Um, I, I can't always remember when we come back to church because they're wearing different clothes. <laughs> it's actually really hard. When I'm with them for a week at a time, I can remember them, but it's hard when we come back here in fall. But I work really, really hard. You ask any middle school volunteer, they will tell you the first thing you do as a cell leader is you learn the names of the kids in your cell. You say, well, that's obvious. It's not, and it's hard. But when you, you know what it's like, you walk out there, Pastor Chris, Pastor Ray, they know your name. Feels special in a church of 4,500 people, doesn't it? Go test them. 
<laughs> and can I give you a little hint here? Can I ask you to help me out? I tell our students this all the time. Do you know that students never say each other's names? Like, ever? Never. I sometimes try to be smart about this and try to listen for their name, and they're like, tell your friend's name so I don't look like an idiot. But when you are standing with people and one of the pastors comes up, say the name of the person you're speaking to. Makes us look awesome. And it actually helps that person to feel loved and accepted. You all do that today, okay? But children especially need to be known. And that's a design feature of the Creator. It says in 1 Corinthians, talking about love, this is the love chapter. For now we see indistinctly as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, as I am fully known. Do you know what the highest degree of love is? When somebody can be fully known to you with all their weaknesses, strengths, you don't love them anymore because they're awesome, you don't love them any less because they're not. You just love them. They're fully known to you, and you still love them. That is the greatest measure of love, and our kids need that. One of the things that a kid needs is to be able to be exactly themselves in your presence and not be ashamed of it. It's very, very difficult sometimes, but that's what they need. They need to be fully known. Third thing our children need is they need to be led. We need to lead our children. This is where we talk about volunteering and serving them. Because there's ways, and I'll, I'll mention this too, there's ways to lead them that aren't exactly in children's ministry, but we need excellent people in children's ministry. Look, there are many business people in this, in this room. Nobody in business would want to make an investment that would lose money. And likely, if you wanted to make an investment of money, you want to make it in a place that's going to give you the greatest returns, even if it's over the long haul. Do you know where that is? That's children's ministry. In the church, when we're talking about spiritual investment, the greatest return for your money will come with those who are under the age of 13, and this is why. Because that's where all the foundations are laid. All the foundations for spiritual development are laid in children's ministry. That's where you will get the greatest return for your investment. You see, high school ministry is really a rescue recovery ministry. High school ministry, critically important. I'm not saying that if you're a high school minister or cell leader that you should just drop high school and go to kids' line. That's not what I'm saying because high school is important. But what high school is is very different than middle school or children's ministry. In high school, we're doing rescue recovery. In middle school, we're trying to keep, well, children's ministry, we get them in the boat. Middle school, we try to keep them in the boat. And in high school, we try to figure out all the ones who've bailed. And we're going out into the community. They were in a cell, now where are they? Where are they? What's happening? It's rescue recovery. It's very different. And it doesn't take as many people. It takes a lot of people to lay foundations. It takes a lot of people. And what high school, young adult, worship ministry, every ministry in the church should always be thinking, how can we support the place of the greatest investment, which is over there? Even though other ministries are important. Look, if other ministries weren't important, we wouldn't be preaching, right? We wouldn't have awesome worship teams. Of course they're important. But everything we do should be thinking about how do we return and invest, put an investment over there with those children, whether it's prayer ministry or anything. It's very, very critically important. One of the ways that we test our success in ministry is in our transitions. In the transitions, they're very dangerous. Transitions are very dangerous, spiritually speaking. And uh, this, uh, this weekend is the first weekend that grade eights have transitioned into the big church service, okay? So th there will be some grade eights in here today. 
instead of going to the grade eight, uh, seven, eight class that we offer. And uh, last year, we do the same thing. We do it every spring. Last year, from grade eight to grade nine, 86% of our grade eights joined and remained in a high school cell. That's incredible. That is just incredible. That's a huge answer to prayer. I'm praying for 100%, though, because we need to maintain these. Uh, and that, you know how that happens with relationships? Caution, prayer, thinking carefully. You know how it's so important, these relationships are so important, that starting at the beginning of March, we start putting high school cell leaders into middle school cells, and they start co-leading so that if the middle school cell leader doesn't move up into high school, and many of them do move up with their cell into high school, um, then what we do is at least we graft in another leader so they get to know them so that as they transition into high school, they already know somebody there. It's not just all new. That takes a lot of manpower. A lot. It takes a lot of work. And so we need people like that. There's a book that we're reading right now, uh, some pastors, called Rare Leadership. It's written by two people. The, Mark Warner wrote part of it, and he says this. <clears throat> he says that they were interviewing a church that was losing all its youth. And as they were doing this and looking at it, you know what they found? The, the number one reason their church was losing youth was because they did not have a relationship with people older than them. Look, I love my grade 9 cell leaders. We're taking a whole bunch next year. They were in middle school this year. Next year, we're taking them back to grade 5. We're going to have them in middle school as leaders. That's great. But a grade 9, a 14-year-old, not, is not able to lead children the way a parent can. It's impossible. How could they possibly do that? Even a young adult. You take a young adult and a parent. Well, young adults don't know how to discipline. They don't know how to speak the language. They don't know how to hold kids accountable. They're cool. But that, doesn't, that only carries you so far. It'd be really nice to have a young adult or a young leader paired up with a parent at every single table in kids' land, at middle school, because then you could have cool with uncool. <laughs> the net effect would be good. Okay? This year, I tell you something, we have this deeper program for kids. It happens on Wednesday nights for uh, grades 2 to 4. It is almost exclusively parents. Uh, it's somewhere around 70 to 80% of their leaders are parents. And Renick is brilliant. Pastor Renick did a brilliant job. She, she had all these kids on the waiting list, and they are absolutely committed to a low ratio. So they have a 1 to 4 or 5 ratio of leader to student or child. That is critical. Very, very important. Okay? Because otherwise you can't really do ministry. We could have a whole bunch of kids here, but nothing would happen. So they're committed to that ratio. Okay? But that means that a lot of kids get put on a waiting list. You know what she did? She said, oh, your kid can come off the waiting list. All you have to do is volunteer. <laughs> and it worked. We have, we have testimonies from parents. You wouldn't believe it. They learned so much. They said, I now know how to talk to my kids about, about this stuff at home. I know how to... Um, I know what they're learning so we can repeat the lesson at home. It was brilliant. And not only that, because one parent did that for their child, three or four other children got off that waiting list too. It multiplied the effect. It was incredible. And, um, and by the way, it's reciprocal. You want to talk about some amazing stuff. These are our children uh, ministering with adults. This is from the, this is a, an older picture from two years ago from the food and clothing drive. Just look at the, the spectrum of hair color. <laughs> it's brilliant. 
Adults leading beside children. Now it's not only adults leading children, now they're modeling how to lead. Oh, I love that. These are our children, our deeper kids, they're ministering, ministering, they're playing Skippo. <laughs> Uno, maybe, I'm not, you know, yeah, that's Uno. With the seniors at Bethesda. You know how much courage that takes? Not as much as this. Look at this. These kids are praying for our staff sergeant. I think that's his title, staff sergeant. Harold Leninga, on their deeper field trip, they're laying hands on an RCMP officer. This is what happens when parents invest in children. This is what happens. They become courageous in their faith to do crazy things. Um, our grade fives, grade five and six is a few weeks ago, Caleb Duick, who's the director for grade five and six, he had them write letters to the seniors. I have some of them for you. They're awesome. This is the first one I have for you. It's a picture. Um, I took out the kids' names, but left in the seniors' names. I have no idea who Hilda Friesen is. She could be any one of five, I guess, in our church. Um, <laughs> Dear Hilda Friesen, my name is blank, and I, here is a drawing. You see heaven there and water in heaven. That's good. And you can see there, it's the end of the world. But Jesus is taking Hilda Friesen to heaven. <clears throat> That was his letter to her. And you can see the devil there. They're going to kick him in the teeth on the way past. It was great. And then there was this one. Dear Miss Lena Duick, hi, my name is. I'm learning math and science. I know the world can be hard. Yeah, you're learning math and science. <laughs> Sometimes I know how it feels. 2 Kings 17.39 says, Worship the Lord your God. It is he who will deliver you from all your enemies, particularly your teachers. <laughs> this one says, I pray that you will get plenty of sleep and have someone to talk to. Something every senior needs. God is always with you and loves you very much. And then this one, I love this one. Dear Betty Funk, my name is blank. I love to play, I like to play hockey. I, I am 11. I live in Mitchell, Manitoba. What do you like to do? How old are you? You are about 90 years old. <laughs> Isn't that great? We sent these out to the seniors. A whole bunch of them got, a whole bunch of them got letters like this. I don't have time. I wish I could read you the letters that the seniors on their own, on their own, sent back to the kids. Oh, you, I would weep. I could weep reading them. The faith that was built into our children because the seniors got these silly letters. That is incredible. That is senior ministry leading in children's ministry. That's exactly what, that's an investment. Do you know what my dream is? My dream my dream is to have a middle school grandma and grandpa who will just come and greet kids and know them and tussle their hair and tell them dork dorky jokes and just be that, you know, if they're sad, to just be there. That's my dream. I've dreamt about that for 15 years. You know that? It's very hard to get seniors to volunteer with children because they think they don't have enough energy. You didn't see the grandma who was volunteering at Deeper this year because she has two special needs grandsons and she knew that they wouldn't be able to go there unless she went. And I watched her running a relay with them. I was terrified that she would fall. <laughs> she has energy, but you see, it's very close. It's her children. She wants the best for those grandchildren. This is what Psalm 78 says. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach our children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they would set their hope on God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments. 
I had one more point. I'm not going to get to it. We have to model faith for our kids too. Modeling and leading them is very similar. Do you know that Pastor Brad in uh, high school, he gets these calls from parents, please get my child into a high school cell. He says, are you yourself in a cell? Do you know how few parents are in cells? Do not ask your children, your high school kids, to be in a cell if you're not attending a cell. You know what that's called? Hypocrisy. It is. Don't ask your kids to do something you're not willing to do. Of course it costs you time. Don't ask them to serve if you're not willing to serve. Don't ask them to put their loony in the, in the offering bin of their allowance out there if you're not willing to put your offering in the basket in here. We have to model faith for our children. So let me conclude with this. The research shows us that most kids have a fully formed worldview by the age of 13, and chances are slim that it will change. Therefore, the greatest investment in the kingdom will be done in the foundational years of preschool through middle school. Children matter intensely to God, who's entrusted them not only to individual families for training and the instruction of the Lord, but to the body of Christ, who plays a major role in supporting their spiritual growth. And while we have amazing volunteers in our early years, children's ministry and middle school ministry, and while every church needs dedicated volunteers, we actually need more for our children. We need more. Not everyone is called to work in children's ministry, but we are all called to cherish and protect our children in this church. And I believe, I believe this with all my heart, that if we would listen to the Lord and have the courage to obey Him, not only would children's ministry, but every ministry would have enough volunteers. I believe that. But it takes a lot of obedience and sacrifice. There's just no way around it. It's going to take a lot of obedience, listening, humility, and sacrifice. But we owe it to our children. We really do. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you that you love us and that you love our children. Today, I pray that as we go into that lobby and we see the hundreds of kids filing out of the ministries, that we would look on them with such compassion, recognizing that you've created them exactly as they are. And Jesus, I pray that we would play a part in their transformation and their development, that Jesus, not one of our precious children, would be lost as they grow older. Jesus, that they would not only not be lost, but that they would grow into spiritual champions, giants of the faith that are highly effective in our very, very broken dark world. I pray that for the parents in here, but I also pray for those of us, uh, for those who don't have kids, that we would also have compassion on those, those children that you love so desperately. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from South End Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.